Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, podcast fiends! You are listening to episode 164 of the Howie Games Part A, featuring marathon star Jess Stenson. This South Australian champion, this Australian champion, this Commonwealth champion, Jess Stenson. So, what a day it's been. Now, Jess, not that she would admit it, being a very, very humble operator, is a hero to all sorts, including many mothers out there who have followed Jess's journey through athletics and motherhood to becoming a Commonwealth champion. I have received a heap, a heap of messages on socials from mums who have asked if we could invite Jess on, as they love everything she represents. So this episode is for you all, but in particular for all the awesome mums out there, including mine, Jeannie Pop, and the mother of my two, the E-Bomb. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes This episode follows Jess's journey from cross-country and according to Tommy's research, I'm going to blame it on Tommy, to wrestling. That little bit of gold we came across about wrestling, maybe wasn't so gold in the end, but anyway, you'll find that out as you listen. And it ends up with her journey through marathon running. The training, the mental preparation, the diet, the lot. After listening to this, you'll be running 42 kilometres in no time, possibly. Right up, let's get rolling with a wonderful person that is Jess Stenson, an athlete that knocks out 3 minute 25 Ks. 3 minute 25 for K after K after K. To match that, if you want to try it, go to the gym, hit the treadmill, crank it up to about 17 or 18 and see how you go and for how long. It is crazy, but it's awesome. Let's go. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed in King Selassie? I come on, children, try it with me. We want to reach Mount Zion. Well, this is a real thrill for me because I've a long time been a person that has really enjoyed what this next athlete has done. She is now a Commonwealth Games gold medalist. Her name is Jess Stenson previously Jess Trengove, but nevertheless, a gold medalist, Jess, it's great to see you in the fancy new studio. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It is a very fancy new studio. I love it. Yeah, we've got a nice backdrop, which people can't see. Um, Right off the top, I I wanted to ask you, uh, you just came from the airport. Yes. It's just popped into my head and you said, I'll get the Sky Bus and then I'll get an Uber over here. And I said, no, no, just get a cab. We'll sort it out. <laughs> now, now you, you're a successful woman. You're a physio. You're doing beautifully in life. Do you ever look at the sports that make the mega dollars and think, I would like some of that? Or <laughs> is it purely for the love of what you do? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it is a, it's a challenging question. And I guess at this point in my life, um, now that I'm a mum and, and supporting a family Absolutely. as well, it would be nice sort of, I guess, at the peak of your career to to be able to draw a good income just so that you can focus on that. My energy, I guess, is divided now a lot more between my training and motherhood and 
and yeah, still, I guess, a fair bit of work on the side where I can to, to generate that income. So it it is, I guess, unique in that when you're kind of at your best, it's probably sometimes when you're actually earning the least because you don't have as much time to, yeah. to work in a regular job. <laughs> so do you, is there, is there, I know there was with the Olympics, is there, a, is there a bonus system? Do you get any, I don't want to go into your finances here, Jess, <laughs> but is there, is there a um, payment for winning a Commonwealth Games gold medal from any of the Australian sports organisations? How does that work? No, not from any of the organisations like Com Games um, Australia, for example, but if you have an individual sponsorship arrangement that you know has has yep. bonuses okay. within it, that's where you can make some money from a particular position. So, who are you sponsored by? Let's Asics Australia. Asics, Asics Australia. How long have Asics been with you? I just bought a new pair of Asics. Magnificent. Ooh, nice. We'll give your sponsors a plug because <laughs> yeah, they're the ones that absolutely. enable. It's okay if you're playing in the NBA or the <laughs> AFL, but what we're saying is you're not. Yeah, and unfortunately, you're not actually allowed to give them a plug during the period of the games because the games have their own sponsors. So the one time. <laughs> now I'm going to stop you because you can't comment on that. That is ridiculous. So you've got athletes busting their gut, and you're not allowed to promote your sponsors due to cross. Yeah. Okay, you, yeah. don't you But I've been that. with ASIC since 2013. I love the brand and what okay. they represent. Okay. The other thing that I wanted to say to you immediately, you're over here. So little Billy, three. Yeah, just about. Dylan at home, father. Mm-hmm. How different is their next four days without <laughs> mum in their house? Because I was just saying it's quite different at my house, not better or worse, but quite different when Erica's not there. What about when Jess is not there? Yeah, I don't think the uh, bed will be made and I imagine <laughs> I'll arrive home to just, um, yeah, probably Lego all over the floor, but I'm sure they're going to have a great weekend together and I'll be getting little updates and uh, I think basically veggies go out the window. It's just going to be a lot of barbecues and... <laughs> Meat. Yes. Meat and more. We, we'll talk about the effect you have on the community, but I have countless... Uh, ladies, women in my life through work, through friends, my wife, and they all look up to you tremendously because one, you're a marathon runner and a successful marathon runner, but two, that you have done it after having a child. I presume you know this, that you're a real poster girl for the mums out there, as well as other parts of the community, which I think is really cool. (laughs) I mean, I'm really fortunate to have had and to have a lot of female role models as well. I mean, my teammates, you know, in in Birmingham, um, they're both mums yeah. and, and El- Eloise Wellings, Elsie in particular. Um, I went to the 2014 Commonwealth Games. I saw you there actually. Yes. <laughs> and yes. uh, she was there with her young daughter at the time. And I just remember watching them together and she'd finished a training session and, you know, hugged her daughter. And I just thought that is the dream to be able to represent your country and to have your family there and, you know, a child or children there. Um, Wouldn't that just be a treat? And so, you know, having someone like Elsie to look up to and to talk to when I became a mum was just really valuable. And how do you feel being a role model, Tommy, who's come on board the Howie (laughs) Games? He was producing the night for seven uh, when you won your Commonwealth Games gold medal and another close friend of mine, Joel Starsovich, and he said, I can't wait to hear what Jess has got to say because we were in tears. They, <laughs> they were that moved by what they were seeing and what they were hearing. What's it mm. like when people come up to you and tell you those stories now? I was doing this when you did this. Yeah, it it is really special. I, I particularly enjoy, you know, walking down to the local cafe and, you know, parents will come up and say just thank you. Um, you know, my young daughter hmm. or someone was was watching that and, 
you know, I had one of um, my relatives say that a young cousin was, you know, just in tears and, you know, she ended up sleeping with her parents that night because she was just um, quite emotional. And, and those stories, I think, where you hear that, you know, a young child has seen it and, and it's maybe inspired them to just chase their their dreams is really special. <laughs> Which is what this show's about. I've got to tell you right off the top, I'm a little bit concerned, Jess, because uh, Tommy and I produced some notes. Tommy did a lot of reading and then I did a lot of reading yesterday. I had those notes in the car and those notes are currently still in the car. <laughs> so <laughs> we are going full freestyle <laughs> here. So if I get some of the dates wrong... I apologise. Tommy has also delivered your water. I said, great, we need to give the marathon runner water. I have so many questions for you because I've always wanted to have a marathoner on the show to talk about diet, training, physical, mental, et cetera. But tell me, on a typical day when you're training, how much water are you taking into your system? Probably not as much as I should. Right. I love food and I've always found hydration is something I really have to work on. Yep. I sort of don't tend to feel thirsty until it's too late. So, Which they say is, is the wrong thing. Once you yeah. feel thirsty, you've, you've missed <laughs> yeah. the boat, yeah? That's right. So in a typical day, I, I love to do my key session in the morning. So say it's a, a Sunday long run. That's most distance runners can relate to that Sunday morning long run. I'll get up. I'll have um, breakfast. So since becoming a mum, I've been able to really just tolerate food before training more easily. I think it's because during pregnancy, I had this huge appetite and I had to be eating so regularly. So what, what, what was your one thing? For, uh, to, sorry to interrupt. My, my wife eats very healthy. All of a sudden, she couldn't go past a sausage roll or frosty fruit. I don't know why. <laughs> did you did you have something that all of a sudden was, as a pregnant woman, was like, I need that or not? It wasn't anything crazy. I just, I, I love bread at the best of times, but my love for bread right. even, yeah, right. grew stronger. Right. right. So back <laughs> like to the- fresh bread, salty things, but- That was it. Um, that was it for Erica yeah. as well, salty things. So, so the hydration, the hydration. Yep. So I'll get up and have breakfast. It might be a few bits of toast with, you know, banana, almond butter on top, and then I'll have probably one- big glass of, of water. And then throughout the run, if it's two and a half hours, sometimes my coach, Adam Diddick, will be out there on the bike and he's every 5Ks or every 20 minutes is sort of saying, all right, time to have a drink. And I really do have to force it. I, I just don't right. enjoy drinking. But then, you know, after the run, I'll try to have a few glasses of water straight away. And then I tend to get thirsty later in the day. So uh, yeah, fueling comes very naturally. The hydration it's a bit tougher, but okay. it's we'll, important. <laughs> we'll talk about fueling. Where did all this start for you? From those notes that I left in the car, country background growing up. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Narracourt in the southeast of South Australia. And how far is that from Adelaide? About three and a quarter hours. In the south east. east. So right, okay. kind of Mount Gambier okay. direction. Yeah. Right. And what was going on in that part of the world? Uh, well, my dad, my mum and dad um, lived in Clare, actually, in South Australia. Initially, dad got a job. Um, he's a vet, mainly a large animal, sort of sheep and cattle vet. He got a job down in Narracourt. And so they headed there and, and had me in... 1987. Right. <laughs> and mum actually ended up setting up a swimming school business there. So they built an indoor pool in our backyard and we had lap swimmers coming. And then, you know, after school, my friends would all be coming yep. for swimming lessons. And so that was pretty cool. I initially thought I wanted to try and be an Australian swimmer. I think I'd been inspired by, it was the 1996 Atlanta Olympics, watching yep. Susie O'Neill on yes. the bike on TV, I thought, yeah. in front, listen to that roar. It's O'Neill pulling away now. The danger is Patria. The two Australians will fight this out. In front, O'Neill. Patria coming after her. Here's Susie once more. Oh, lap it up. 
O'Neill is coming in. Susie O'Neill wins for Australia. Thomas is second. That's you. That's going to be me. What were you so like in the pool? No good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I really I vividly remember asking for an alarm clock for my birthday. I would have been, I don't know, eight, ten or something at the time. And, right. And, um... I got an alarm clock. It was this pink hippo thing and it would I'd wake up to it singing and I, I did a cup a few mornings I went um, down to the pool and did some laps, but it just doesn't come naturally to me. A few mornings. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally a few and then I, I hung up the goggles. But um I just feel like I'm a, a land land animal. <laughs> so I, I am, um, we, we've been in contact over the years. We first met, as you mentioned, at those Commonwealth Games when you and your brother uh, were there in Glasgow. Um, and I, since then, you've often messaged me that you listen to various episodes of the podcast, which I'm pumped about. I, I didn't hear Grant Hackett, Liesl Jones, Steph Rice say they sort of went a couple of times to the pool. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like you had quite a commitment no. to what was required there, Jess. No, no. I had the, you know, the Olympic dream, I guess. And I mean, the Southeast, it, it's a really active, just sporting community. And, and I really loved my upbringing. I think you know, the love for nature and the outdoors mm. and just sport in general really laid the foundations um, for for me to be able to capitalise later on. And, you know, netball was my number one sport. We played for the Kybe Tigers, which, um, you know, Lockie Neal, for example, played for the Kybe Tigers. Right. He was a really little fella at the time. Was like, he? My brother was playing and Lockie was the little kid who just couldn't wait to get out there and play himself. He was a bit too young. <laughs> and, and so... Yeah, to have that environment, um, you know, the Thunderbirds playing for the top netball team was my initial goal growing what up. Centre. Uh, centre, okay. <laughs> Started as a goal attack, but soon I guess running became my main strength and that's where I, you know, spent a lot of time in the centre court. But at the age of, would have been 20, 21, I just... I wasn't progressing in netball anymore. So, and so you, you had hopes to be a professional netballer once, yeah, you, I mean, once I was, you moved on from your swimming career? I was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying my very best. And, yeah, it was at that point in 2008, Jack was um, on the brink of being drafted to the Melbourne Demons. So he's my younger brother by four years. My sister was rowing for the um, South Australian Sports Institute. I wasn't quite, you know, heading in the right direction of um achieving my dream as a netballer. So yep. I thought, well, let's um, redirect my energy into another sport um, where I can sort of have full control and I can, you know, juggle training around my work and life commitments. And yeah, I'm really glad I sort of changed at the age of 21 to, to the sport of running. Which sounds late. Mm. We'll talk about that. But were you into wrestling as well? No, I, the, <laughs> I'm not quite sure where that came from. Um, oh, I someone asked it on me your that Wikipedia page. Oh, really? Yes. Someone's someone must have got on and um, played around with it. So it's, a, I, it's it's fake news. It is fake news. Fake news. Asked, I didn't picture you as a wrestler. <laughs> somewhere, <laughs> I was asked that the other day, and I had no idea where that came from. Oh, so it's, on your, it's on your Wikipedia. Check out Wikipedia. <laughs> because when I read that, I was like, "Gee, she would have had to be in one of those sort of 42 kilo class operations." That's hilarious. No, I. Um, um, I remember when the South Australian Sports Institute scouts used to come around to schools, um, I was invited along to the program for weightlifting right. for the, um, the division that I'd be in, but okay. I, I didn't, yeah, continue on with that. So no wrestling. <laughs> no. Drink some of your water. Drink <laughs> yeah. some of your water while you're sitting here. So when did you first start running? Did you run at school? I did. Um, 
So I went to Narracourt Primary School and we had a pine forest sort of on the edge of our school and a deputy principal who just loved cross country. So the annual um, school cross country event was huge. And Mm. interestingly, my very first opportunity to race was as a five-year-old in reception. And um, I remember rocking up to school and I don't know, just must have overthought it, put too much pressure on myself. I ended up pulling the pin at the last minute and stood on the sidelines. Pre-race. Pre-race, yep. And uh, watched the kids head off and um, into the pine forest. And it was quite a sandy, hilly course. And anyway, they got, um, there was a course mishap and a, a number of students took a wrong turn, big shortcut, and they ended up having to run the race later in the day. So Start again. Start again. So I decided to jump in. I'd had a bit of, um, I guess, envy watching them yep. and took the win, but I was the freshest five-year-old out there. They're so already, it was a bit of a... already knocked out a couple of Ks at this point. <laughs> exactly. So I, uh, yeah, got my first running medal, uh, <laughs> which was yeah probably a bit unfair on the other kids. But I guess I did learn from that experience that sometimes, you know, you do just have to put yourself out there and and I uh, get out of your comfort zone because I, I imagine if I hadn't had that second opportunity, I, I might have done the same thing huh. the next year, the next year. So it's funny, I, I would get just so nervous before any race throughout primary school in particular. What, what to, caused the nerves? Fear of failure, expectation, wanting to do well, just being yeah. tied up for what was going on around you? I think I wanted to do well. I didn't know if I was well prepared because I didn't train specifically for it. And most of all, I knew that I'd squeeze everything out of myself and how much that would hurt. Even at that age? Yeah. Yep. I, I could just push myself to the point of, yeah, complete exhaustion. In year 12, I'd been focusing more on my studies and hadn't trained much. And I went off to the, the national champs. They were held in Adelaide and and I can't remember the final, you know, few minutes of that race. I ended up in the first aid tent and I remember them asking um, me to say my name and I couldn't remember my name. I didn't know where I was. Because so, you'd push yourself physically yeah, that hard. I, I, that day in particular, I pushed myself, you know, really hard. So I think that's something that was pretty innate, just that desire to get the most out of myself and to be able to push myself to sort of the extreme. So how... We had Cadell Evans on this show a long time ago and he went to the AIS and had a ridiculous VO2, like ridiculous. I'm sure you've done those tests Mm. because I want to know how much is mental and how much is innate um, physical capabilities as we get into it. But are you above average, way above average as far as your VO2, your ability to... Yeah, I I can't remember the exact number, but I don't think it's anything um, too impressive. I think it's more I'm an economical runner, so what does that mean? um, Efficient, so you you don't need, I guess, as much (laughs) oxygen going around to the, you know, the the working muscles because um, you're actually using or moving in an economical way. That's what my coach has told me anyway. (laughs) So do you think do you think you have a certain level of natural ability? Where, Where did your natural ability stack up? against your ability as a five-year-old to push yourself beyond where most kids are prepared to push themselves? Um, well, I sort of, I did win the cross-country races through school, but again, I don't know if that's a physical trait or I was just pushing myself harder than the other kids. Um, certainly I noticed a dramatic improvement when I started training specifically for running and 
you know, I think that in the event of the marathon, it, they really do go hand in hand. You need the mental desire and ability to push yourself just to get to the start line because the training is, you know, a huge part of <laughs> the marathon. And then when you're out there, obviously you need the physical um, strength, um, but I feel like it's, you know, the mental journey to get to the start line that gives you that physical strength. So it's a really good question. <laughs> I don't want to step too far ahead because, like I said, I'm, I'm fascinated by the nuts and bolts of what you do. But at this point, I don't need to explain this to you because it's lovely that you've listened to some episodes of the podcast. You get my daughter <laughs> asking. Uh, she was under the pump this morning because we were running late for school and we, <laughs> we got to the bus stop and said, right. And she said, oh, she's a marathon runner. Yeah, we, we watched her. Um, <laughs> so this is what you get from her and it's exactly what we're talking about. Anyways, I know when I'm running and it gets really hard, I think about finishing. What do you think about when you're in the race and it's really hard? She loves her cross country. And she's <laughs> like, Dad, Dad, when I'm cooked, I don't know what I'm thinking about. And she was fascinated by what, where you take yourself mentally. Yeah, well, thanks, Pickle. Uh, it's an interesting one and I don't know whether it has changed from when I was, say, a young um, primary school athlete to now. I, I certainly do think of the finish at points throughout the race, but... Um, I now try to focus more on the moment I'm in and not be too overwhelmed by the number of <laughs> kilometres I have less left to run. Yes. So I'll sort of switch from thinking about there's a landmark up there, a, a tree, like let's just get to that or, you know, feeling how my feet are hitting the ground, how my arms are moving, listening to my breathing. And then I'll go to thoughts of... Um, you know, say I was in Birmingham, you know, yep. my family back at home. And so you're kind of going from internal thoughts to noticing what's happening around you. But I think sometimes if you focus too much on the finish, it can actually, you know, increase your anxiety because it's often, you know, there's often a long way to go. I, I tend to not let my mind go there until I'm within, you know, a kilometre or so of the finish line. And, and if you're thinking about your family, who are watching you back at home in Birmingham, for example, how much can you let your mind disappear into those thoughts as opposed to having to concentrate on the technique and the race that's developing in front of you? I think you have to uh, pick your moments. So if you're on a long stretch of road without um, too many course technicalities and, you know, there's not a lot of... Um, you know, tactics happening at the time, you know, there's no pack that's about to surge. Uh, that's where you can let your mind drift off for a while. And, you know, I, I do draw a lot of strength and inspiration from thinking of loved ones and what they're up to. Mm. In Birmingham, my sister had only given birth three weeks earlier. So I was kind of thinking of her on her couch with her new little baby George and thinking, gee, you know, what she went through three weeks ago, <laughs> this is nothing. Like at I'll least I had some element of control. You know, when you're giving birth, you can't tap out, um, which ultimately you don't want to in a marathon either. But yeah. And, uh, you know, if I chose to let my mind go there at, say, drink station, I probably would have missed my drink. So, you've, yeah, you've got to pick your times to let your mind wander. So you're progressing, you're doing cross-country. And then did you miss out on a team for a world championship cross country? Mm. I did. So that was 
so it was in 2008 that I started working with my current coach, Adam Didick, and my goal at that point was to run for Australia. Again, I had as a, um, a high school athlete, I'd gone to the world junior schools because country champs and my So, so what dream. distance are that? Is that? Um, so that would have been 3Ks. So 3K, what are you running your 3K in? At that oh, stage, probably as a, as a... eleven something minutes in cross country. Okay, mm. right. So, so four minute k's <laughs> is twelve. Right. Okay. So I, yeah, had a dream to run for Australia again, and there was this opportunity coming up to go to the World Cross Country Champs in Spain, and uh, I missed out on that team, and I was absolutely shattered. Like in my mind, that was my one lifetime opportunity to to run for Australia and missed out. Was pretty upset. What does pretty upset mean? Oh, I was bawling. I remember the day actually. I was in the car with my sister. We'd just finished a gym session and I had a call from the head sort of selector and I thought, this is the call. And he told me the news and (laughs) yeah, I was distraught. And um, after a couple of weeks, my coach said, look, let's, um, let's, register you for a race in Canberra. It was this handicapped, um, shorter distance race. And I headed off to Canberra, did the race. And afterwards I went for coffee with Rob D. Costella, um, Dick Telford, Sean Crichton, just some of the, the distance running greats and coaches. Um, I think Adam might've had a a role to play in that. To get you there. Yep. And, uh, well done, coach. Yes. (laughs) And we were all sitting around the table and I think it was Deke who said like, you know, have you ever considered trying to qualify for the Olympics next year? And um, I said, oh, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know what event I'd try and qualify for. And he said, you know, there's a 3K steeple. They haven't filled that team yet. The marathon event, you know, we've got Benita Willis, who, by the way, is one of my <laughs> absolute sporting heroes, um, Lisa Waitman, you know, three spots up for grabs. And I thought, oh, you know, I've, I've never run a marathon. I think I might one day, but now's probably a bit soon. And they said, you know, you can't always map out the perfect progression with the Olympics. You know, there's one every four years. And if there's an opportunity there, sometimes you've just got to go for it. So I returned to Adelaide and mentioned it to my coach. And he said, what have we got to lose? Let's, let's go for it. So at that point, he um, got in touch with an agent who helped me to get into a race in Japan in March of 2012. A marathon. A marathon race. And uh, yeah, we just... Our sights were set on trying to get this qualifying time of two hours and thirty two minutes at the time. So And what did you do it in? Two thirty one oh two, I think. So or it might have been twelve. Seconds, <laughs> you smashed it. I yeah, look, it was a an incredible experience. We obviously headed to Japan, just a, a coach and, and his athlete sort of all eyes and ears trying to learn as much as we could. And I remember the night before the race, we we found this ramen bar around the corner from the hotel. And I was like, all right, I've got a carb load <laughs> and um, ordered this big bowl of ramen. And they said, oh, it comes with um, gyoza and all you can eat kimchi. And I was like, sweet. So I was smashing eat. this chili kimchi Come and on, like on reflection now, that's a horrible thing to <laughs> before a race, but I was just like, i got to eat, eat, eat. And, um, you know, we left and, and the next morning woke up and yeah, head, headed to the race start line. And I wasn't actually in the priority area. I was going to be starting sort of back with the masses and we met someone. With who the punters. Helped, yeah, who helped me to get up into the sort of front section. And as the race was sort of unfolding, I got to halfway and 
you know, I was on track, my pace. I had my 5K splits written on my hand that I had to hit, but it was freezing. I'd worn gloves and so I, I couldn't see them. <laughs> and my maths isn't great at the best of times, let alone when I'm, you know, running and don't have much <laughs> oxygen to spare. So uh, at that point was sort of feeling okay. And that's when my mind started drifting, like this Olympic dream might actually come alive. And at 34 um, Ks into the race, I remember seeing Adam, my coach, bouncing around saying, like, you're killing it, you're on pace. And yeah, soon after that, my hamstrings started sort of going on me. I could feel them twinging. And every time I turned a corner, I just felt very vulnerable. But just that thought of, you know, going to the London Olympics enabled me to hang in there. And when I entered the stadium and saw that time on the clock, I just, yeah, I, I can't describe that feeling. I've, you know, I've had some pretty, well, some very special race experiences, but I will never forget that moment of seeing the clock and realising <laughs> that I'd, you know, probably be off to the Olympics. I, I had to wait another few months to actually, you know, find out that I'd made it because another girl could have come in and run faster than me. So that was a pretty... So did you sort of watch other marathons around the joint just sort of death riding other Australian <laughs> marathon runners? It was not? hard. I remember one in particular, there was an Aussie girl in the race and I was like, I can't watch this. Do a calf. Do a calf. <laughs> Back to Jess in a tick. Now, I am so, so pumped about next week's guest. He was originally on the show six years ago, way back in episode 12, when he was coaching the Socceroos. Since then, this chap, Ange Postacoglu, well, Ange had really kicked on. He went to Japan, won a title, then went to Scotland and won another title with one of the biggest football clubs on the planet, Celtic. Sounds easy. It wasn't. It's a rare type of sporting snobbery, isn't it? That because a bloke doesn't come from a geographic location, he can't do the job. And and it's as simple and as basic as that. It was geography that was denying me an opportunity because if you just take away that and look at sort of accomplishments and and where I'd coached and... And style, the style you play with. Which is is evident. You just have to watch the team. It's not me talking about it. You can see that, you know. Um, So... I just didn't feel because they just said, well, you know, they, they have it as such a big thing. Well, he's never coached in Europe. And so we got to the point where, <clears throat> you know, again, Georgia and I said, well, what are we going to do here? I said, we're either going to, you know, this is going to be our odyssey staying in Asia and, and sort of, you know, sort of doing well financially, which is not a, a bad thing. You know, we all want to look after our families or, or we just go to Europe and we just sit there in, in some location and if, a little, the littlest the club comes along, I take over and, and at least I, I've got European experience and maybe that opens some doors. So so that's kind of what we resigned ourselves to. But I, if you had asked me hand on heart, probably a month before the Celtic thing came through, I would have said that I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. I think it's it, it's going to be an alternative path. Do not miss the next chapter with Ange Postacoglu next week. He is a groundbreaker in Aussie sport. Alrighty, let's get back to Jess. I want to base the whole training, eating, physical, mental discussion around Birmingham. Mm-hmm. But before that, you you know, you talked about you're going to be an Olympic swimmer and then, <laughs> then apparently I was throwing in wrestling for you to get to the Olympics <laughs> and there was talk of netball. What does it mean to you and what did it mean to you to be able to wear the green and gold at Olympics a couple of times? Yeah, it meant so much to me. Um, I'll, I very clearly remember the day that um, mum took a phone call at our home in Narracourt and hung up and said, kids, we're off to the Olympics. Um, so the Olympics came to Sydney in 2000 and yes. we, 
her mum and dad um, must have put in an application mm. and a final ballot. And we got tickets to the basketball, swimming, tennis and athletics and, you know, everything about that Olympics just was unbelievable. Was. We were camping in Narrabeen, which is about an hour out, and I just remember the bus rides home, all of the singing and dancing and chanting. And so it was actually at that Olympics where I met Benita Willis. She'd just finished her 5K race and came into the stands to see her family and my sister and I were um, waving our tickets at her and she came and had a chat and, you know, she was in the green and gold that day and I just, yeah, was blown away that an athlete would come and talk to me and so followed her career very closely from that point onwards. And when I lined up next to Benita, we were on the same team at the London Olympics. It was just this dream come true and, you know, 12, yeah, 12 years after being a little kid in the stands, just all eyes. And um, every time I pull on the green and gold, I kind of feel this a bit of a step back in time and a big responsibility because I remember the impact that Benita had on me. Did you take it easy on the Japanese the night before that first time? <laughs> or did you just hoe in again? Well, so once I'd Because everyone talks about the food court. <laughs> Everybody talks about the food court. Yeah, and once I'd qualified for the Olympics, that sort of opened me up to have access to um, the South Australian Sports Institute resources and, and you know, a sports dietitian. So I didn't have a structured plan at that point, but I'd learnt that, you know, some bland foods like rice and... <laughs> And whatnot are the, are the way to go. And these days I have a very specific plan that I stick to. So the two days leading into a race, it's, you know, down to grams of, you know, yogurt, medium banana, X, you know, rice crackers so with really 40 specific. grams of honey, like very okay. specific because um, then I don't have to think about it. So for all, we are lucky on this show, like you, we have a lot of endurance athletes listen because they spend so much time training on their (laughs) bikes or or running um, that they listen to the show. So I I really want to break it down for all those people out there that are wanting to run marathons, that are are doing triathlons, et cetera. And for the average person that goes for a 5K run like I do. So what uh, in Birmingham... Two hours twenty seven. Two hours twenty seven. Yep. I was doing the calculations. I was driving up. What's the what's the K split there? What what are you doing a K in three? Um, well, I know for my personal best, it's yep. about three twenty five to three twenty six. So that would be a few seconds off that okay. twenty eight, maybe. So you're running. This is where people need to actually listen to what I'm saying for once. You're running for forty two kilometers, three minute twenty five Ks. <laughs> so on the treadmill. In the gym, that's up to, I'm sure you don't run on the treadmill in the gym. That, that's up to, I think, 18 or 19. I think so, but yeah, I wouldn't run on the treadmill. No, at that but the, so, so go to the gym, <laughs> put it on 19, and try and do that for three minutes and 25 seconds. And you need to do that for another 41 kilometers. This is why uh, <laughs> it's what you do, but. For the, we can all run, so it's not like we can all pole vault and think, oh, I, I can't pole vault that. Um, <laughs> we can all relate to what a five-minute K does or a four-minute 30K or a four-minute 10K. So to do 3.25, I first saw it in Athens at the Olympics, Jess, when I was sent out to do a story on uh, the marathon and for Channel 7, and I remember getting set up, and we didn't get much of a story because by the time we got there and set up, we were getting ready to go. Like they, The men just went past <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at... To see a marathon live is quite extraordinary to see the pace you're running. Mm. It's phenomenal. So I want to know what goes into that. So let's use um, Birmingham Mm -hmm. as a base. Well, firstly, before we get to that, personal question, 
I'll ask it anyway. How, how much did your body change having a child in the point that it did or didn't affect your running? Did it make you stronger? Did it make you better in areas, weak in areas? How, mm. how was that? It's a question I get asked, you know, quite often, and it's it's really difficult to know how much is due to, you know, becoming a mum and the changes that occur yep. physically versus and mentally versus just the uniqueness of the last couple of years. Okay. Like a lot has happened since I gave birth to Billy in 2019 um, that's probably changed me physically because I've had, you know, time to work on other areas, but also mentally big time. So um, when I first gave birth, I just could not believe how weak my abs were. Like usually I just feel like I've got, there's just structure, support there. You know, you can hold yourself up. And I just remember sitting on the bed, um, feeding Billy and just, I couldn't even hold myself upright. There's, I just completely lost that yeah. core. But surprisingly it did sort of come back quite quickly. I mean, sort of four weeks later, I could feel something there again. And, um, by six weeks I was starting to feel quite a bit stronger, but I did, I remember have like a, a sharp pain with particular exercises for a while. So I had to, um, you know, modify what I was doing and I got back on like an elliptical trainer. We ended up, um, getting one, um, from an old gym sale that we put in our shed and, and that was really helpful and getting back into sort of some jogging between four and six weeks. I think by six weeks I was adding in some jogging. You were running again. How, how, how far into it did you run? How far into, so. Oh, into pregnancy. Um, so I remember stopping for a while from sort of 14 to 18 weeks because I had a bit of, um, pelvic pain and that was good for me because it forced me to find other training options. I, um, you know, started heading to the next generation gym in Adelaide and doing some pool sessions there, which were fantastic. I just got creative. Yeah, that's right. But I was running in the water this time, (laughs) not swimming. And, uh, yeah, I just got hooked on podcasts actually. So I started really embracing the cross training and I, I didn't run a lot after that. And I think I stopped for good at about 32 weeks. And, uh, I think that worked quite well for me because it, sort of protected my body. And, Did you have um, concerns about what could or couldn't happen prior to having a baby as far as your athletics career was or or no? Uh, I mean, I I had, as I said, role models who had done it. They'd yes. got back to their best after having children and I believed I could do that if I was smart. Um, I went along to a physio course at 21 weeks. It was maternity um and yeah, women's health. And they were talking about all of the potential complications and pelvic floor, um, Mm. you know, prolapses, all sorts. And and that scared me a little bit. So I think I took a more conservative approach uh, after attending that course, just to make sure that, you know, it didn't matter if I lost fitness. I just wanted to make sure that my body was in a position to be able to get back into it um, afterwards. So yeah, I think the the gradual development of strength and then obviously COVID hit and race opportunities were few and far between. So 2020 was sort of just a year of building building a base in the end. And in 2021, I, I ended up sustaining an injury before the, the marathon that I was targeting to try and qualify for the Olympics that year. But you know, in amongst all of that, my dad um, was diagnosed with a you know, a sarcoma, which was just an absolute 
shock to the family. Um, he's he's going well now. So, good, good. but you know, he he went through some intense chemotherapy for nine months there, where he was an inpatient for most of it. And you know, my year sort of switched from being focused on trying to qualify for the Olympics to, you know, visiting dad and, and keeping him company, helping him through it because, um, yeah, it was full on treatment. And I think that experience is what really changed me mentally. And um, so when I say I've sort of become maybe mentally stronger as a mum, I think watching dad and how yep. he got through his treatment, he was so strong, didn't complain. It really just put life into perspective. I'm glad your dad's going much better. <laughs> uh, what did you learn from your brother's experiences? So for people that don't know, uh, Jess's brother, Jack, very high draft pick, was captain of the Melbourne Football Club at a really young age, at a really difficult time for the football club, went to South Australia, um, had some tough times, mm. some tough times in footy. What did you learn seeing what your brother went through as a professional athlete? <sighs> so much. I have so much respect for Jack. He, um, he's just a good man. He is, and he's just got a really glass half full approach. And I think that comes from, you know, dad yep. as well. But uh, as his older sister and having that kind of nurturing, you know, that Protective. natural, yeah, was, yeah, as, you know, my younger brother, when he went to Melbourne at the age of 18 and and went through those hard times. You know, the club itself was going through tough times. The club and then, was on its knees. They were getting belted every Yeah. Week. And then when he, I mean, the criticism that the club was receiving is one thing, but when he had his injury, just to be back in Adelaide, you know, I know mum and dad found it really hard. He'd be saying, I'm, you know, going in for another surgery and you've just got to trust that, you know, he's, he's getting the best care possible. But you couldn't go anywhere without people asking, you know, how Jack was going, how how's his foot. It was just around you all the time. So we could only imagine what it was like for Jack and, you know, to be a pretty young guy. And when he had the responsibility of captaincy as well and, yeah, you just, yeah, I really felt for him, but he would never want us to be worried. He was always staying positive. But certainly when I've been through injury troubles or any troubles in my career, Jack's one of the first people I speak to and he just helps you to get clarity and he's just got this ability to help you to focus on the the positives and, you know, you'll walk away from a catch-up just thinking, yeah, I know what I've got to do. (laughs) It's funny, isn't it? We talked about coming in here and what you get paid to do your sport and Jack's the opposite. He's in a sport where they earn a really, really good living, but with that comes the scrutiny mm, on absolutely. performance that maybe you don't have on lower profile sports. Mm-hmm. And he was scrutinised to the nth degree, which I'm sure you saw. Yeah. And that's something that I've always thought of as, you know, the benefit of, of our sport is is we do we can just get on and do Fly our under thing. the radar. Yeah. yeah absolutely. You're not yeah. going to end up on the front page of the paper. Okay. So now let's get to the nuts and bolts. Let's use um, Birmingham for an example. I want to get a full understanding of all our listeners and understanding of what is required physically and mentally to run three minute 26 Ks <laughs> for, 40, for 42 kilometers. Training at its most intense in the lead up to a championship marathon. Run me through the kilometers you're doing and what you're doing on track. So it's evolved over the years. When I lined up for my first marathon in Japan, I think I had maxed out at 150 Ks per week. And that felt like if I 
do an extra K, I'm going to get injured. I really felt like I was, you know, at my limit there. And then if you fast forward to 2018, we had the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast here and that was probably my biggest, my, my highest volume prep and I was really happy with that um, block of training actually. So you sort of... What type of kilometres were you doing there? I got up to over 200 one or two weeks, but I was sort of sitting at around 175, 180 consistently. So you look at a marathon block of training being sort of 12 weeks, but obviously you've got... So that's what you do, you, you know, do a 12-week... Specific okay. um, block, but I tend to be running, so, you know, probably my base would be around 140 Ks and then you up it and suddenly... 20K a day and then you up it from there Yeah. Um that was 2018, and a week in 2018 looked like, you know, two runs on most days, gym twice a week, long run on Sunday, sort of two and a half hours, and um, Wednesday, medium long run was an hour 45, and my recovery run, my recovery day was a 60-minute run and For sort of recovery. gym. This, yeah, it was in 2018 before I had, you know, the role of a mum and, mm-hmm. and other things, so... This year, so before Birmingham, my training maxed out at 169Ks, I think, one week. And I had a couple of, you know, 165K weeks in there. And at what speed are you doing your typical run? Are you like, what type of Ks are you doing in training? Yeah. So in 2018, I used to do three sort of key sessions for the week on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then a long run. But now I do a Tuesday and a Friday session and a long run. So Saturday is my sort of recovery day, family day. I love it. Um, <laughs> and so on those key sessions, that's where I'm maybe traveling at around 3.15 to 3.25K pace, depending on the wow. the session I'm doing. Um, and then the other runs in my week are jog pace generally. What's jog pace for you? 4.20-ish. No, you can get stuffed with a 4.20. Although if it's pace. a real sort of recovery run, like my, if I have a big, say 20 plus K session in the morning, my recovery run that afternoon, I actually, it's in my best interest to run at more like 4.40 pace. Right. I've learnt from previous uh, mistakes that I really need to just back off those recovery runs and let my body, yeah. So, that, so they're the Ks. How do you, when you wake up in the morning, do you think in the middle of that, I can't wait to go running (laughs) or do you, do you have days where it's like, I don't want to do this. And on those days, what do you do? Mm, I used to have a lot more of those days before I was a mum. I don't want to run. Yeah. But now you're like, I want to get out of the house. Yeah. Like in 20, (laughs) (laughs) in, in 2018, I remember really struggling to get out out the door some days for runs. Like Dylan and I actually travelled to Europe for a two to three month period just to, I don't know, step out of the routine of normal life. And um, I just remember preparing for, it was the Toronto Marathon at the time and being in tears some mornings to Dylan, just like, I don't feel like going out for my run today. And he's like, well, you don't have to. I'm like, oh, but I, I do. I need to get ready for this race. And we were in the Netherlands. We had the most beautiful lush trails around us and I just I was just struggling to find motivation since becoming a mum I just yeah I haven't had many of those days at all to be honest in fact I've had a couple of injuries that have really challenged me because I just I do want to be out there with my squad and I tend to as I said do my main sessions in the morning I don't really think about the session when I go to bed at night I just think about get a good high energy meal in go to bed early I get up, you know, 
get organised and, and head out the door. And when I get home again, I don't really reflect on the, the session, whereas I used to probably overthink things a bit. So as a mum, I feel like I'm just much more in the moment and acting from minute to minute, hour to hour. Things change really quickly. You have to learn to adapt. And I've, I just feel more motivated than ever. And running a marathon at your level of training and ability, what's the hardest part? Is it the aerobic part or the muscular part? Uh, like, do the, you start to feel puffed or do you start to feel tired mm, through your legs? It depends a bit on like the course and, and conditions, but generally my aerobic uh, capacity has been more my strength and I've just had to, you know, build the... I guess the muscles up to make sure I can um, stay strong and not feel any twinges or or injure myself um, in the race. So I'd say it's probably more the the muscle conditioning. What's been your toughest period? Are you run fourteen marathons? Yep. What's been the toughest period you've ever had in a marathon? Uh, the twenty eighteen Commonwealth Games. I. I'd had, as I said, a really strong preparation. I was feeling good going into it. It was, you know, quite a warm day and the pace, um, the race went out at a really conservative pace. And I remember seeing my family out there at 10Ks and thinking, this is, you know, I need to wind things up a bit here. I didn't trust in my ability to um, outkick my competitors in the final 10Ks. So I thought I've got to get it going earlier uh, at 35-ish Ks. I I think my guts were feeling a bit off, so I didn't take my um, energy gel. 37 Ks in, I just hit an absolute wall. I was really struggling just to so keep moving forward. So what does that mean? Because you see it, you see it, like we'll discuss your yeah. race. You see it when all of a sudden someone's going strongly and 10 metres later they're off the back and a minute after that they're 300 metres behind. What, what happens physically and mentally when you know mm. you're done? I mean, I can't. In that situation, it wasn't that anything in particular hurt. I just felt like I'd completely run out of gas. I just felt empty and mm. I feel like it was just my mental, like myself willing, <laughs> um, my body to the line that got me through that race. It was torture. And I just, you know, you tell yourself things like, I'll, I'll never have to do this again. Once I get to the finish line, you know, I can just relax. And I could see family members and, you know, people in the green and gold out on course. And I was almost just looking into their eyes like help me <laughs> and uh we had this sort of bit of a rise and I remember the crowd was on the right and there was a bit of shade and I was feeling pretty hot at the time I've just sort of hugged the fence line to try and get their energy and cross the line that day just so relieved and you know it was a bronze medal I'd gone into that race hoping for more but I think that result is what got me the recent result I learned so much from that race and I was, it was such a satisfying feeling to cross the line, even though I hadn't sort of achieved that A goal. I felt like it was a big win to, to finish the race that day. You mentioned the gym. So what are you doing in the gym strength-wise to prepare your body to run a marathon? Is it weights? I, I am doing weights. Uh, it's funny because I compare to my husband, Dylan, who's a sort of 800, 400 runner, and he's in the gym doing really explosive work, box jumps. You know, his gym is for performance. It's mm -hmm. an it's a key session for him. Whereas for me, I see the gym work as more to build up strength so that I can withstand the marathon tra running training. So I'm doing 
you know, eight to 10 reps of most things, um, three sets, and it might be some Smith machine squats. Um, you know, I, I love this sort of step ups, um, with maybe pulley. Um, so it's, it's legs focused. Yep. Lunges. I've always seen calf those, work. I've always seen those leg machines in the gym and thought, why would people do gym <laughs> on their legs? Cause it doesn't need but anyway. Yeah. It, it's really, it's working my, um, abdominal like that. Yep. Lumbopelvic core strength and bit of, I think the calf strengthening is important and really focusing on posture. But for me as well, it's a bit of um, mobility work because you get quite stiff with all of the running training. Diet. When you're in full training, you mentioned prior to the race, the specifics, but in full training, how clean is your diet? How many calories are you taking in? Do you you know Mm. it to that extent? I don't know how many calories I'm taking in, but that's another thing since becoming a mum. I just, I I have no kind of body image concerns. As a younger athlete, you'd sort of look at the athletes around you and think, what do I need to be to be at my best? And, you know, typically marathon runners are, are very lean and sometimes I'd get quite stressed trying to morph my body to be a particular um, composition before a race. And I just, it's so freeing now just to think of fuel the body, get the training done to the best of your ability. And I'm just not, I I don't waste energy or, you know, potentially making myself, you know, um, underperform because I've gone too hard on under fueling. Like I, I really just, I see. Which would be a great way for us all to live our life, to be completely happy. <laughs> it would. Yeah. Like to be happy with our body shape. Yes. And I think uh, that came from being responsible for another human. You know, when I was pregnant, it yep. wasn't about me. It was about getting the right things in for Billy. And yep. and now, uh Again, I just, I, I do love food. I always have. Um, and I try to eat a really healthy and balanced diet. I don't, there's nothing that I, I don't eat. So what's a typical training before you go out for your Sunday 25K? What are you typically having? So I try to keep it lower in fibre. That's something I've learned over the years, that pre-race meal. If you can keep it high carb, low fibre, that's best. So it's usually just a couple of bits of toast with some honey or maybe a bit of almond butter. Um, I can have sort of porridge if I, I want to, um, but try not to go too hard on the dairy. And, and then afterwards, that's so where I have. So what's your post run? Yeah. So that's, I'd usually actually have like supplement, whatever meal I'm having with a bit of, um, protein powder just to increase the protein side of things. It might be again, like muesli with banana, some almond butter or peanut butter in there, yogurt, protein powder. It's sort of that. Peanut butter. (laughs) Yeah. I love the nut butters. And ideally if I was organized, it'd be like um, eggs on toast and avocado, but sort of cereal is just my go-to. That is the end of Jess Stenson part A. Way, way more K's to cover in part B.